to the XYZ Podcast. I'm Eco. I'm Zach. And today, for our X Factor, we have a special guest, uh, Daryl Monty. Daryl. Daryl is an international improviser <laughs> and and writer as well, but mostly Chicago-based. Yeah, almost entirely Chicago-based, <laughs> uh, with the exception of the one improv jam that I sat in in Reykjavik that one time. That one time, oh. yeah, baby. I mean, it's not often you meet an improviser who does improv in Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. Even that one time you sat in on a jam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but I, but by that lone criterion, I am an international yo, comedian. Yo. Uh, real quick, um, be sure to like and subscribe. Find us as uh, XYZ Podcast on Facebook and I think XYZ with Eco and Zach or XYZ, yeah, with Eco and Zach on SoundCloud. Okay, yeah, and also yeah. and iTunes. Oh, and iTunes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's probably the obvious. That's where I don't that's, know. That's where I get all my podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they're hearing this. Um, if we might, we may edit this to make it actually clear and correct. <laughs> that's fine. Okay, <laughs> might all right. Be a bad all right. Idea. So with that out of the way, yeah. So let's get right into it, man. Um, background on on uh, Daryl is like at least um, I I know you through the crowd basically. Yeah. Right. That's that's apt. That I feel yeah. like that's where I've met the crowd theater. Uh, if anyone listening for some reason does not know, uh, is uh, it's at Broadway where Broadway meets Irving Park. Uh, it's a second floor storefront theater yeah. um, that's been around for about two and a half years, um, and you kind of see the same. Uh, forty or fifty people. Although that number tends is is growing, it's growing, isn't yeah, it? yeah. Very different. Um, so. You know, who all kind of perform together, hang out together, um, you know, collaborate on different things with one another. It's definitely a scene. Um, yeah. uh, and I am there a lot. Uh, yeah, it's kind of my home base. Yeah, it's becoming my home base. Um, I mean, it's shift. My home base has shifted over the uh, last couple of years. I mean, second city, cause I didn't know anything else. I O because uh, like when I, when I was taking classes there, it was like I O maybe 70% and then crowd like 30%. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That was kind of the same thing with me. Um, when I was in classes at I O uh, I wasn't performing mm-hmm. actively because I, I thought, you know, I have to go through all the classes to earn the right oh. to step on stage, which was such fallacious thinking. I, uh, I, if I had to do that over again, I would have just gone out and just had some real weird shows um, and had a lot of fun, probably. Uh, so yeah, when I was at IO in classes, I almost uh, solely saw shows and hung out at IO, but it's partially because that student ID gets you into virtually every show except yeah. for yeah. provide Shakespeare yeah. uh, for free. Um, so, Hard not to take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, Although yeah. I succeeded in not taking advantage of that oh, very much. Man. You didn't go to shows? I, I went to a couple, but I didn't definitely didn't like go as often as I could have. Yeah. I mean, part of that is just because I, I was working full time and I will be soon. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, do you, uh, they, they say, you know, part of the way that you, you, get better is by in improvising. Right? Yeah. Yes. It, I, and I, you know, I don't know how entirely I agree with that. Um, I mean, I, I definitely think it's true, but I don't know if that's, I don't, you know, it's like how effective is it versus actually playing, right? Yeah. It's probably like maybe 25% is effective. Yeah. I, I think it's still important. I don't know. And I also heard something once that was like, make sure you see uh, bad improv sometimes. That's oh, what yeah. I was about to say. Oh yes. yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's um like I think it's it's important in the sense that like it, but it's more random and less efficient than if you had like really good structure. Like all the lessons you learn from watching improv are like, I mean, you see good things, but like maybe as you get better and better, it's like I know why that's good, and I already do it, yeah. or I've seen why that's good before. And so there's like less and less new lessons as you just go along because it's, you know, it's, it's kind of random when you yeah. do that. Yeah. I, more to the point of what, what Zach mm-hmm. said, I think, uh, you, even though it can be incredibly painful to oh, watch, yeah. Yeah. I think you derive a lot more, um, from watching bad or maybe just kind of amateurish or, or yeah. new, uh, sure. newer improvisers than you do from watching a polished, product because when you go and you watch something like improvised Shakespeare or uh, a team like 
revolver, you know, that's been doing their thing for, you know, over a decade, there's so few scratches in the veneer. It's sometimes hard for a beginning improviser to look at what they're doing um, and see it as anything less than a magic trick. You know, it's still like, uh, there's still this like mystique around it. Like, how do they do that? Whereas Mm. if you're watching you know, something that's a little rougher around the edges, um, you know, you, you might see someone make a mistake that you've made in class and you're like, okay, you know, uh, yeah, it clicks. You can see you see exactly why it doesn't work. And, you know, uh, in on, uh, I guess inversely, you see, uh, people succeed, you know, yeah. And demonstrating things that you've just been learning. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it, you can kind of see the blueprint and you can kind of take that for yourself a little bit. You can, you could build upon what they're doing. Whereas, you know, when you're seeing that magic trick, like you're saying, it's just hard to process right, right, the right. technique and et cetera. Right. It's right. like that saying, like any sufficiently advanced technology appears to like, uh, appears to people that don't know about it as like magic, right? Yes. Yeah. It's like a car would be magic to, you know, medieval European, you know, right. Completely. And it's like, you would have no idea even how to approach looking at how it works, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, I, I feel like it's, uh, with anything else, you know, uh, where it's be, being, any other thing where it's being done by the best of the best. Like, I think if, if you're really smart and like really perceptive, you might be able to watch, say, a professional NBA basketball mm-hmm. game and learn something about basketball, but it's, these guys are so good and, uh, so polished that it's just second nature for them. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're not going to be, you're, you're not going to be able to walk away from watching an NBA game, you know, or a couple of professional NBA games and be able to dunk. Right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And it's also like, um, uh, man, I th- I completely lost my train of thought <laughs> completely. Oh no. It's like, it's like, uh, it's a common theme like um, the workouts of the champions or something like that, right? And it's like, oh, well, that's what they're doing now. But what you need, because you're a beginner, is you need to do what they did when they were a beginner. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You got to start off yeah. with baby steps. Yeah. For sure. Uh, time for a segue, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, All right. Man. So, I mean, there's no better transition than calling. Out loud for the need for a transition. Yes. <laughs> hey, yeah. Look, sometimes you just need to say smooth hey. like butter, right? Sometimes you just need to edit the scene. You just need to cut across. We're talking about improv. Yeah, this is yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, is yeah. a sweet. sweet, y'all. <laughs> yeah, we met it. Yeah. So, um, to so you said you said out a couple of things that you uh you're interested in talking about, and for me, it's like so. Um, musical improv is on is on the list. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, what, what's your experience been with that so far? Uh, so that's something I'm new to, mm-hmm. uh, relatively new. Uh, I don't have much, uh, in the way of a musical background. Okay. I did mm-hmm. high school musicals, uh, way back in the day, mm-hmm. um, took singing lessons when I was in high school for a brief period of time with dubious results. Uh, but so I can, I can somewhat, yeah. I mean, I, I think... I think I'm on key some of the time, which is great. Uh, so it's better than none of the time. Better absolutely, the time. exactly, exactly. Um, it's it's very hard to be like off key like all the time, or like I've I've, I've seen it, and I've heard it, and I'm like, this is like, this seems magical that you're able to not find a note. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, everyone in my case, every once in a while, a blind squirrel finds a nut. So as they say, um, so uh, a couple of months ago, I auditioned for Mint, uh, mm-hmm. which is at the Annoyance Theater, uh, 7.30 on Tuesdays. Uh, it used to be hosted by a now defunct place called um, MCL, MCL yeah. on Southport, um, which was a great, uh, great little theater. But we're kind of seeing a lot of these smaller venues kind of shutter up. Um, because I think just like the scene has gotten a little bit too diffuse and, mm. um, you know, the revenue is not exactly just pouring in yeah, for, yeah. for a lot of them. Uh, 
So I auditioned for it. Uh, I just wanted to kind of uh, cast a wider net for myself as a performer and try something that I hadn't done before. Um, And I was like, well, I can improvise moderately well. Uh, I can't sing incredibly well, you know, but I'm competent. Um, Never done music improv in my life. Um, and it wasn't when I looked at the prerequisites mm-hmm. for auditioning for it, it didn't say anything about having mm-hmm. that kind of background. So what, what are the prerequisites? The, uh, honestly, just, uh, it, it doesn't seem like they had a lot. Uh, if I remember right, they just said, you know, bring your resume. So, I mean, I, I guess it helps if it's not completely blank. Like yeah. if you've been a part mm-hmm. of a different show or been a part of a team or graduated, from some sort of training center. Mm-hmm. I imagine those people are uh, looked at a little more seriously mm-hmm. by the auditors, but I'm not sure. Um, but I, I had been performing for about uh, two years and uh, had gra- taken classes at a whole host of different places. So I felt, you know, good about going in there. And mm-hmm. uh, basically the way the audition uh, worked was uh, you got called in to do a two-person scene with someone. And then at some point during that two-person scene, the musical director uh, who was conducting the auditions just drops the keys and you have to start singing. Yeah. Just yeah. make up a song on yeah. the spot. That's all uh, yeah. And it was the most damn fun. It, it was probably the best audition I've ever had. I just felt very locked in mm-hmm. uh, with this guy, Esh, who ended up being on the team that I was later placed on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've been dipping, dipping my toe in the water with regards, uh, musical improv and it's not nearly as difficult as I would have thought. Um, now I haven't really gotten into advanced things like, um, styles or song genres, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I know with more advanced musical improv training programs, you know, they teach you how to do doo-wop songs or rap numbers or something like that. Right now, it's it's basically uh, a glorified version of what I was doing in that audition. You know, yeah. people come out, do a scene. At some point, the MD drops the keys and you just start singing. Yeah, um, that's, that's pretty close to my experience. I haven't done Mint. I auditioned once and I didn't get it. Um, but I've been doing the I.O. Uh, musical and prop program. Dave Asher nice. uh, teaches it, and uh, it's mostly that. Actually, it's mostly it's mostly um, do a scene. Uh, MD will play music and sing a song, and it's it's uh, mostly been about getting better at that. As far as, as far as the whole program, the form. Um, yeah, I was like, it could, it could probably, you could probably do more basics about like genre and things like that, or more, I don't know if you call it, you would call it basics. You could definitely do more of that, but I get, you know, it's a class. So it's, and different people have different experiences. Um, I, it steered more towards like getting better at the improv side of it, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, probably because, yeah, again, like a lot of people have more of a musical background and less improv background in the class. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the trick, the, the trick that I kind of picked up right away is that it's way, and I mean, this is, you could, uh, carry over into just improv generally is, uh, find a really strong emotional point of view mm-hmm. for the character that you're playing. And if that will tend to inform the meat of whatever song comes out of that. And I mean, that's kind of the case with, with all musicals, if you watch, you know, like if you watch a Disney film, um, you know, uh, in the Little Mermaid, uh, Ariel is going through uh, all her treasures and yeah. she's really wistful and yep. she wishes that she could kind of see what's going on on the other side. And, and yeah. then she telegraphs that uh, pretty loudly. She's like, oh, you know, if I could if I could only, you know, like yep. go to the surface and see yeah. all this stuff. And then, then she boom. Uh, part of uh yeah, yeah part of your world or whatever yeah. 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 uh whatever that song is so if you find that strong emotion no matter what it yeah. is you have a, you definitely have a song yeah sure. um, well, that that's the thing is musicals are just you know people just blatantly saying out what their emotions are yeah yeah, yeah. and because the music actually makes that work whereas like 
I mean, like the the music is the show part, so you're showing and telling. Yes, and not necessarily just telling anymore. Yeah, yeah, all it is is a glorified I statement with a ton of pageantry. Yeah, that's all a musical yeah. number yeah. is. Yeah, I, I there's a, a songwriting book I have, and it mentions that like um, when it comes to lyrics, like song lyrics don't have to be that good compared to poetry because there is the music around it, and that mm-hmm. does a lot of the job. And so, like, you know, I didn't think about it too much at the time when I first read it. But, like, as I listen to more and more songs, sometimes I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. Because, like, some songs, like, like Let It Be is a good song and it's got decent lyrics. But, like, most of it is literally just Let It Be. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, well, I mean, that uh, I would say without hyperbole, 99% of at least rock and pop song l- lyrics are absolute gobbledygook. Yeah. They're garbage. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're trying to, what's going to sell and what's, uh, what people are going to connect with is a melody that's strong and also an emotion that's strong. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. in the case of let it be, that's Paul McCartney talking about a dream that he had where he was visited yep. by his mother. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, he, he basically, you know, in, in the, I, I forget what, what stage of his career with the Beatles he was in at that point, but I think it was after they had kind of retired from touring um, and kind of the, you know, the threads were starting to get pulled on that yeah. band and they were all going in different directions. Yeah. Um, he, he said he had this vision of his mom yep. and she yeah. said, let it be. Um, and that, and so that, uh, that emotion that comes through, you know, like connecting you know, with his with his dead mom, like that comes through loud and clear. Yeah, Even though the so. lyrics are very simple, very simple. You yeah, know, indeed. little banal, but uh, but the the emotion is so strong. Yeah. you don't care. Yeah, you know exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, honestly, like bands and artists that have quote unquote good lyrics, a lot of times I don't really connect with all that much. Yeah. I find them a little pedantic. Like, uh, I think. Leonard Kahn, may he rest in peace. Um, I think he's a brilliant poet and like an artist, but uh, and his lyrics are very, very good and and poetic. But I that I just don't connect with it because mm. I just don't think the tunes are all that strong. That's I don't know if I hundred percent agree. I don't know. <laughs> he's an acquired. But, I mean, that's yeah, that's uh, yeah. That's but there's a tape. there's a lot of guys like that. Um, uh. You know, more more recently, uh, Connor Oberst of Bright Eyes and other bands. Same thing. Uh, I mean, it, he's not without musical talent. Uh, I feel like you're trashing on like all my musical days. <laughs> oh, exactly. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. No, uh, no, it's cool. It's cool. Like, I mean, that's the thing about musical taste is it's uh, 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 even if even if you know. Um, even if you can appreciate what someone's doing, that doesn't mean what you always like the sound. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or you don't always have to connect with their lyrics. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, uh, I, I am a dyed in the wool, diehard Smiths fan. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't like Morrissey's music. They don't like his lyrics and they don't like the sound of his voice. It's mm-hmm. very, it's a very polarizing. Yeah, that, there we go. There uh, we go. I'm not the biggest Smiths guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, it's kind of funny. That was a band uh, that I initially hated yeah. with a fiery passion. I was <laughs> like, why does this guy, why is this guy crooning like that? Why does he sound a little bit like an English Kermit the Frog? Why is he whining? Um, uh, I just didn't get it. Just mm-hmm. it sounded like other new wave bands, but uh, that you would hear in the supermarket, but just with zero joy. Like it was really mopey. <laughs> uh, uh, and I don't know what the hell happened, but it was just uh, you know. So I had a roommate that would play them all the time. And then, you know, after a few subsequent listenings, I became a fan for life. They, you know, they became my favorite band of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Do you ever have an experience like that? Like something you initially just could not stand? Yeah. You ended up loving? I'll say this, and this is like, this this would probably sound sacrilegious. For me, that was Metallica. Okay. Yeah. Because like the first song I heard from them was One. 
and and Justice for All famously doesn't have bass on it. <laughs> oh, were they uh, were they just uh, in that phase where they were trying to replace Cliff Burton and like they had replaced him? They just were dicks, or rather, they just fucked Jason Newstead yeah, over. Yeah, they just fucked him over. That's this is a huge like I've been read I've still read articles about this because they're coming out the remaster. <laughs> so and somebody actually took the bass tracks. The bass tracks appear on Guitar Hero. Okay, apparently. So uh, they they were able to isolate them and then put them back into the mix, and that album is called "Injustice for Jason." <laughs> Man, uh, was it the same guy that like made the snare drum sound like a paint can on Saint Anger? I have was no that idea. The same guy mixing? Pro- probably not. Probably not. I mean, <laughs> probably very very different things. But yeah, <laughs> but you you initially heard that song you were turned off by it and then production yeah because like i was used to new metal production and it has a certain sound and it's fuller louder and and again like 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 master puppets right it does have bass on it but even then it was just not what i was used to the sound like the guitar sound was very different it was scooped and well again the loudness is a big part of it because i didn't really know much about that at the time the loudness wars and all that stuff so I yeah the production miss wars yeah uh, I I don't pay much attention yeah. to this stuff um uh yeah it's like this thing basically like music sounds better when it's loud right like it's, yeah. this is just like it's pretty generally accepted so you know whenever you compare let's say two pieces of gear as one example this is not the loudness wars but just uh, you know it's not fair if one piece of gear is just like turned down a little bit mm-hmm. so it, you should match it now the, the now the, where the loudness wars comes in is like you people like the the average level of music has gotten louder over time mm. um in terms of like in, in computers there's like an absolute limit it's like everything's ones right because yeah. so um the average loudness of music on on computers has gotten louder over time uh partially because of this essentially and a, a bad side effect of it is that you need to compress things more so the dynamic ranges have shrunken so like, like classical is a genre where dynamic range is huge, but you have to turn it up so loud because like the quietest parts you just won't hear. Right. Yeah. Um. And like pop music is the is pretty much the exact opposite. Like all the dynamics are up there pretty much all the time, and the variation in in the feel of the dynamics is like not actually in loudness, but in like timbre and other things, and like maybe frequency content instead. So. Yeah, that's that's basically loudness wars. Okay, all right, cool. I don't know that much about music, yeah. so that's intriguing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely like yeah, like Metallica is an example where if you listen to their old albums uh, pre remaster, like they're probably about like say three to six dB quieter than like the average track today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's it's quite it's really noticeable. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Huh. I was not aware of that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know about that. And again, that's why I was like turned off on Metallica at first. I think nowadays you probably the reaction would just be to turn up on your phone or whatever. Yeah. Right. But yeah. if you already have it up to like the max. Or yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't like. Yeah, yeah, I just wasn't knowledgeable enough about music to be like. I was just like, okay, it's just quieter. Okay, it's a little suckier. Yeah. Yeah. At the time. I mean, I think it works for different artists because Elliot Smith for sure never got that fucking memo. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's tracks. Uh, if you're familiar with Elliot Smith, where the slides on his guitar are louder than his voice. Now, I mean, I think some of that is just the production guy fucking up. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. But uh, like, you hear slides like clear as a bell, but he's got this little whisper of a voice. Um, and it's, I mean, it's uh, sets a certain kind of mood, and it yeah, definitely yeah. matches it. You know, and, yeah. and if you turn him up to like. Metallica or you know right. Man of War levels, it just wouldn't play. <laughs> yeah, it'd yeah. be pretty crazy if he uh, Elliot Smith went through a Metallica phase. <laughs> it <was> just <laughs> if it was like My Bloody Valentine, where they had to hand out mandatory earplugs. Oh, <laughs> wow. oh wow! Uh, what about you, Zach? Did you ever have something that uh, you initially despised or you know didn't get? that you ended up absolutely like doing a 180 on and loving. Well, we're talking about bands uh, specifically. And yesterday I sort of had this realization uh, that that's kind of how I feel about REM, which I don't know if I I'd go yeah. so far as to say I love them, but I used to despise them. Okay. Uh, I just knew 
uh, it's the end of the world. We knew, we know it. And I fucking hated that song. Sure. Uh, and then I heard losing my religion and I was like, okay, this is fine. It's not that great. doesn't make up for, and I still kind of just like hated the voice and the general sound. Yeah. Are you, are the band that's very, very chill, right? Uh, is that, I, is that, or I don't know if that's else? the most apt, uh, adjective. Uh, REM came up during kind of the first wave of like college rock in okay. the eighties. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I think I'm thinking of something else then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they were, um, yeah, kind of the progenitors of, uh, quote unquote alternative music. Yeah. On, on mainstream rock radio, okay. you know, they, they kind of uh, managed to transcend, you know, like the tiny music scene they were in in Athens, Georgia, mm-hmm. without necessarily like adopting like the kind of more corporate or uh, arena rock or, you know, like mainstream radio sound. Mm-hmm. And they, they made a huge splash for whatever reason. It just it yeah, like cool. really caught fire. Yeah. And Kurt Cobain actually cited them as like, not necessarily an influence, uh, but the band that he admired because they uh, they ma- they got this. He- I mean, like Nirvana got it. I, I think ten times over. Oh yeah. But yeah. REM enjoyed this kind of unprecedented, at least for that type of sound, level of success, but still managed to stick to their guns um, and maintain their artistic integrity right. instead yeah. of being fed, you know, kind of what to play. Uh, or you know, you know how to uh, re tailoring their sound. They never sold tickets. out. Exactly, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I can totally see not being not getting into REM. Yeah, right away. Uh, and I think it's mostly because I just didn't know them that well. Yeah, and then. Um, I don't know. This is, I mean, speaking of podcasts, there was just an REM podcast recently that just like went into a deep dive of them with like Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott. Yes. And uh, that that actually got me into them a little bit. Uh, and I was like, all right, I, I see why people like them. And like, I kind of like them too, I guess now. Now that I like know their songs other than It's the End of the World, we know it. Yeah. <laughs> I think Peter Buck is a killer guitarist. Um and Michael Stipe is a great front man. Um, yeah. I, I really like his voice. I, I think I've always liked that band. Oh, yeah. I used to hate his voice is part of it. Uh, and I've kind of, like, grown to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, like, I, I feel like I have to be in the mood for it. Um, that's for See, sure. that's how I felt. I feel like you could rope him in that uh, that category, like, category of just kind of slightly off vocalists with, like, Morrissey. Yeah. Because uh, they don't really fit in any category. Morrissey is not exactly a crooner, and he's not exactly like a new wave singer like Rick Astley or anything. Like he's just kind of in this weird space in between, you know, pop singer and musical theater or something. <laughs> um, and Michael Stipe too, you know, um, he he can sing, uh, but he there's kind of a grainy and almost nasally quality. To his yeah. voice, you know, like he's not going out and belting it out, you know, like Bono from U2 or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's got the, like that weird in-between kind of voice. He's got kind of like a distinct sort of, I don't know, definitely something that you kind of have to like, I feel like kind of almost steal yourself before you listen to it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like, I mean, yeah, there's definitely a category of singers and I guess Morrissey would also be in there. Yeah, they, like Mustaine, Dave Mustaine. I mean, to talk about <laughs> his voice is so odd and it's not, his singing voice is odd. His spoke, his speaking voice is like pretty normal. Uh, except for the garbage, like, uh, weird Christian conservative oh, yeah. that's coming out of his Oh, life. yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean... Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, Dave Mustaine uh, is Mustaine. A born again yes. and uh, has had oh. some very unceremonious things to say about the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, it's weird. He's frustrating. Hasn't yeah. Morrissey like, said yes. some problematic shit? Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, I am no longer uh, I am no longer uh, going to bat for Morrissey, but he, he, uh, he was, it came out in praise ostensibly of Brexit. Uh, he said something when the, when the me too movement was kind of at its apex, mm-hmm. 
um, he said something sort of critical about it. I can't, yeah. uh, can't exactly, I, I don't exactly recall what it was. Yeah, um, I, I only know that he said shit that, like, he, <laughs> yeah, he kind of, it's weird because he kind of, I think just wants to be a provocateur always. Yeah. And I mean, he was a huge influence uh, on me when I was younger um, because he was, I mean, I've been vegetarian for like 15 years and a lot of it was, um, you know, he was a really visible one. Yeah. You know, Meet his he, murder. He, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, exactly. You know, he had an album called Meet his murder and he was very outspoken about animal rights and not being cruel and like barbarous as a human being. And he was, he was, uh, kind of taking a preachier tone than a lot of artists at that time uh were taking uh so you know i appreciated him for for that you know for having you know kind of the nerve to like you know speak his truth and stuff um but somewhere along the way he just kept saying more and more outrageous and kind of harsh things and i i mean i don't think he's uh i you know he's i don't think he's uh, conservative party or anything like that. Um, like, I don't think his politics have exactly changed, but like mm -hmm. the rhetoric that's coming out of his mouth is 100% garbage. Um, so it is now difficult to be an avowed Smiths fan, uh, let alone one like myself with a Smiths tattoo uh, <laughs> on my chest. Um, so yeah, I, uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll get that removed someday. <laughs> I feel like there's like a decent amount of like, you know, good people who are like very, you know, there's nothing wrong with like being influenced by a guy who later in life ended up being a creep. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. You're not, you're certainly not the only one who yeah. has a Smith tattoo who's like pissed off by things he says now. Totally. And like yeah. those songs can still like, yeah, I don't know. That's, I, I feel that way for the most part part i think it's a it's an individual uh you kind of have to look at each sort of artist and instance individually but uh i think you can still derive good from the work of people who uh outside of their work uh have behaved in terrible <laughs> or reprehensible ways it depends. I mean, there's some, there's some, yeah, it depends. Yeah. depends. Yeah. There's some people you just basically have to get off that train. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of it is like, so obviously some things are just unforgivable. Yes. But also mm -hmm. it's like some things are like the work was built on this image of the person yeah. being a certain way exactly. and they destroyed that completely. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you, I think you're making, you're setting yourself up for a massive amount of disappointment if you idolize or lionize an individual person and not their work. Yes. Right. Now, yeah. I mean, the debate, the kind of the raging debate is whether you can fully separate the work from the artist because, you know, the works derived from the artist, it, they're, they're almost inextricably linked in some people's minds. But, you know, I mean, like John Lennon, for instance, John Lennon, uh, off, uh, you know, like off the recordings and stuff was a horrible husband. Yeah. Uh, he was very abusive to Cynthia, to Cynthia Lennon, yeah. uh, left her for Yoko, who he also mistreated and abused and was like, in a lot of ways, just a miserable, like human being. The, the amount of joy that he brought with the Beatles and like the, the, the millions upon million, I mean, billions of people that mm -hmm. listened to it. You know, I mean, it's hard to like, I think it's hard to chase people for still listening to Abbey Road because there's like, there's so much merit in it. And it's such like a rich and interesting and like really joyful recording. Yeah. You know, um, but I mean, if you're going out with like a John Lennon, New York City graphic tee or something like that, maybe you should retire that. Yeah. You know, yeah. like celebrate the the work you know, which is not just uh, his efforts, but the sum of his efforts with Paul and yeah. George and uh, Ringo and Sir George Martin on yeah. the boards. Yeah. 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 And also just like being aware of that, of the facts, right, on the ground, like what they have done helps because then you can separate things or like you can 
choose to take some things less seriously or take things less uh or be less invested in certain parts of the work right as well yeah. that like clash with those things right yeah yeah i just i don't think i think i mean there are some people that take uh massive liberties and uh uh abuse their like the power that they get from celebrity yeah mm -hmm. um there's definitely people that yeah, you yeah, know sure. take advantage I also believe um, that I don't think anyone is equipped. Uh, there are very, there are very few people that are equipped to handle a certain level of celebrity. I just don't. I uh, I think it's we're just not meant to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. It's something people aren't ready for, and it's something that you know people don't understand that they're abusing sometimes. Oh, that sounds like I'm defending people. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I, know, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you don't want to, I mean, you can't, the, uh, people have to be held responsible for their own actions. Yeah. And, uh, they're culpable for the things that they do. Um, but I think there is also, I think, but it's also entirely possible to not be aware of, of like what you're doing as well. Totally, yeah. and because you, you, still, you should still definitely be held responsible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there just yeah. needs to be to kind of move forward. There needs to be a larger societal shift away from the way that we can uh, consume media and treat famous people. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it's it's. The results have been bad. Yeah. And it's also, it feels unsustainable because, I mean, like, it, this is the problem with art in general is that, like, the top few people get everything, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like, where is the, I guess this is like society in general, but it's like, where is the middle that feeds the top now? Right. right. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, like, if you, if you, yeah, it just feels so broken. The the it's it's na it's somewhat natural, but also broken, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, I mean, there are, I mean, a lot of like a lot of people, like successful people. You know, if we're we'll just confine this discussion to like the arts. Yeah, a lot of these people are for sure talented yeah. some of them exceptionally talented yeah. um and that that's undeniable but they are also a byproduct of a ton of luck you know yeah, uh yeah. meeting the right people yeah. to put them in the right uh position to enjoy this kind of success uh continued promotion yeah. from you know if they're an uh a recording artist you know like promotion from the label yeah. um yeah. or like the radio stations if they're an actor or actress um, you know, studio yeah. heads and, uh, and, you know, power agents and stuff. So they, they are, uh, you know, it, it's not behind every celebrity. There is basically an army of people that have helped thrust them into that position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they didn't get there. They, they didn't get there alone, yeah. you know, for the most part. Um, so, you know, to, uh, take someone like that, uh, and then suddenly um, put them on this pedestal like they are almost like supernatural or like a like half deity. Yeah. And, and uh, to treat them like everything they do is gold um, and kind of remove them from the basic everyday uh, sort of decorum that you need to have and, and responsibility. You're going to get terrible results. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's not so different from, you know, I mean, pretty obviously, like, fa ancient pharaohs and, like, monarchs, where right. it's just like, oh, they're born into this, so obviously, you know, they're part god. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of wholly without uh, logic, I think. Um, I mean, there's some people that handle it, like, really well, like, that are... Uh, aware of the amount of influence and success yep. that they have and use it, wield it responsibly um, and uh, in productive ways, you know, like people that, um, you know, get involved in philanthropic efforts, you know, like yeah. right now, like the, the one that's kind of on everybody's tongue is Colin Kaepernick, yeah. you know, Colin mm -hmm. Kaepernick yeah. sacrificed uh, a very high level 
NFL career. You know, like yes. he, he yeah. gone to yeah. the Super Bowl yeah. for a uh for a greater good, you know, to to speak out against, you know, police brutality and, yeah. and systemic problems, you know, with our justice system. Um so I mean that that's that's a responsible use of celebrity. Um uh, but I, I think that for for the most part, that's kind of few and far between. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and most of the time, you see people kind of thrust into positions where they're kind of given like powers essentially beyond their um, their particular skill set. Like, I think somebody like Elon Musk or something would be great if he was just like in a garage building Teslas instead of being in charge of people's livelihoods. Yeah. Um, or uh, I don't know. That's the example that came to mind. Uh, where it's just sort of like, oh, he, he's not supposed to be somebody who's, like, running a company. He's supposed to be just in a garage. I hope he plateaus with just smoking doobies <laughs> with, with Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. Yeah. And never gets any further. Yeah. That would be he's, great. He's kind of a scumbag. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's very full of himself. Um, and I don't know what, how anything he's doing is benefiting the human race. It just seems like further self-aggrandizement. I'd say, uh, and obviously this is something that I feel like he's kind of lost sight of, but the idea of an electric car would be great. I saw, like, a good tweet earlier today that was like, oh, if, uh, like, Elon Musk is a very good example of why, like, the government should be in charge of electric cars or something like that. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Uh, It's a great idea, but the thing is, like, uh, he invented an electric car that costs almost the same amount as a Ferrari yeah. and no, uh, you know, kind of commercial, uh, like commercial vehicles, um, well, I, uh, or co- like consumer vehicles like that, they, that are, uh, accessible to anyone else's income level. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so he made, he basically made a product for the ultra rich to make themselves feel better you yeah. know uh, about themselves. Yeah, that's that's all he did. He just added to the smarm of you know people in in Palo Alto yeah. uh, that knock down like three hundred thousand dollars a year and like do absolutely nothing to benefit people around them, but they have like this token thing. You know, like they recycle yeah. and then they have the electric car. Uh, they have enough money to save the environment. Yeah, exactly. But they don't. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, as in, so I don't know how far this has gotten, but has, isn't he trying to come out with um, uh, a production model that's like I don't remember the price range, but like thirty k, forty k, something like that. I uh, I haven't heard. I mean, he should. It's, it's been. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, that's the, the Tesla idea. Roadster has yeah. been around for what? Yeah, that's over a decade that's, now. That's been around for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. But I think yeah, like I remember hearing about the um, the like the not the I guess the, the budget model, but yeah, the one that's like more affordable. But like I heard about that like a year or two ago. I don't know if there's been any progress made on that. Yeah, yeah um, I I don't I feel like it's probably been backburnered in favor of launching one of his stupid cars into space for <laughs> no reason. <laughs> just adding to the space junk that's actually going to become a problem yeah um it's gonna be the future garbage island but in space yeah exactly yeah like the the garbage islands that cruise ships leave behind yeah um yeah good old Elon Mm. our world's fucked uh (laughs) yes uh if there is not a massive uh structural shift uh, yeah. we are in in deep doo-doo yep uh yeah so what's good guys <laughs> you said you said on your thing you like Halloween uh yes <laughs> I do uh Halloween is a great thing um I I'm definitely an uh autumn type of guy oh, and Halloween yeah. is Halloween is uh far and away my favorite holiday yes um I'm down with all the costume stuff uh I think, but, uh, you know, when I was a, a little kid, I wasn't doing any acting or performing, but I used to get really riled up, um, 
for Halloween to kind of put on a costume and be be someone else mm-hmm. for an evening. Like that, that idea appealed enormously to me. Do you have any like favorite costumes that you wear? Oh God, yeah. Um, I mean, I, uh, number one with a bullet is when I was, I want to say in third grade, uh, my mother. Uh, my mother made all of my costumes, uh, <laughs> awesome. which was incredible. Yeah, um, she's she's a pretty skilled seamstress. She made a full bodied, uh, in, in retrospect, very high quality Stimpy costume from <laughs> Ren and Stimpy, and I won I think 150 bucks in mm. a costume contest. With that, did your did you come home and your mom was like coughing up? I made this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we split. I think we split it. Oh man, um, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, I wasn't psyched about it. I yeah, was like, understandable. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, she, you know, she must have spent uh, at least ten to fifteen like hours of labor. Mm-hmm. You know, like on top of wow. having a full time job as uh, a nurse. You know, putting that thing together. You know, it was it was very high quality. Um, so that that was incredible, um, and I just we we used to have a, a costume parade in my elementary school, and I wore that to school and just destroyed everybody else's costume. They you know they were all Ninja Turtles with like the plastic mask, and yeah. then like you know basically the glorified pajamas with the turtle muscle tone, you know, or princesses and stuff. And I was yeah. I was stimpy, and they all looked like schmucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's an um, awesome costume. Yeah. Uh, so that that was a highlight. Um, a few years ago, uh, I was the Noid from Ooh. like the old uh, Domino's campaigns. Domino's like, 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 like the pizza. pizza. Yeah. You know, avoid the Noid. Oh, I don't. I must have not it's been watching super, TV during that super that old. point. Um, <laughs> this is honestly something I've only found out about recently because of the internet. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember the commercials. They had these claymation. Uh, commercials with this antagonist called mm-hmm. the Noid, uh-huh. and it was kind. Of, it was a guy with a big nose and buck teeth in this kind of red bunny suit with an N on the chest. Mm-hmm. And the the slogan for the campaign was "Avoid the Noid," and the Noid would uh would basically damage pizzas he either crush them with his big pizza crusher or he'd make them really cold um so it was basically you know like get dominoes because we have superior delivery service like yeah, right. pizza's not going to be fucked up yeah they have that oven thing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. and then um, they had to retire him because uh some guy like shot up a dominoes because he thought the noise was after him it was really. It was is, bad. That, is that what? Right? Yeah. There's what? there's no way that's true. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Here, all all Wikipedia. I I would like to Snopes that. Um, um, that is insane. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the reasons I know about it is because it's such a fucking insane story. I mean, uh, well, they, there was it was PizzaGate pre PizzaGate. Wow. Um, oh, it's humans. Oh. Yeah. Dude, like, I'm sorry I turned it into the world as bad again. Uh, <laughs> Dude, I was so one of my friends was uh, posting about the the Colin Kaepernick thing and just being supportive, but he was also like, I mean, Nike is also like knows its core demographics, right? And it's like it, it's a calculated move that that works. And I was like, okay, that's true. Like, big corporation doing something for its own good, no surprise. Um, however, a couple things to consider. One is that the demographics are in favor of it, which is a good thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing is that, like, I mean, organizations have been failing at doing things that are rationally in their own best interest for forever. Correct. And my my uh, my line, and I was so proud of this, I was like, I mean, like, I know I might be setting the bar low for, like, humans be- being, like, base level rational, but, like, man, people these days are, like, doing the limbo to get down that low, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was... Uh, to tell the truth, that was kind of uh, my take on the whole uh, Nike Kaepernick campaign. Now, I will give them credit for taking uh, a stance that will probably affect their uh, their relationship with the NFL, which is yeah. really, uh, really, really profitable. Yeah. Like getting, uh, you know, like uh, their logo out there, you know, on broadcasts is like great optics. They're also, but... At the end of the day, uh, it is a company that gives 
zero fucks about human rights. Yeah. Um, if you look at their long and storied track record of the labor that they've been using, like the dire uh, sweatshop-like conditions, they have people like sewing their products together in. It is obvious that they don't give a f- company or, or tuppany fuck mm. about uh, about people. They are just ensuring... You know, I mean, that, that is the way, like, the, the demographic is shifting. You know, like, it is a more conscious consumer. Um, the athletes, the we're now seeing the rise of athletes that are not afraid to speak up, which is right. awesome. Yeah. Like, but, but if you, if you go to, uh, if you go and, uh, and you're in bed with the owners in the NFL and you say, you know, we're with you, we're like not into these flag protests or something like that. What I believe that, you know, like the way that these people's minds are working, they're like, well, we're going to be missing out on the next LeBron James because the next uh, or, you know, like the next big football player or whatever, because that person is probably going to, you know, uh, politically care, uh, like care. And we're going to be missing out on that endorsement. Yeah. Yeah. So um, good for them for propping up someone like Kaepernick. Shame on them for trying to be opportunistic uh, because they don't care. Yeah, it's completely right. hypocritical. They're they're just trying to change their optics. Ap- that's all yeah. it is. It is optics with zero work. And if you're, uh, I I believe I truly believe that you know like revolutionary change, which is going to be necessary to make a sustainable society, like re- truly revolutionary change, will never be in bed with any kind of corporation. No. They're really like at the end of the day, like it's large corporations and the stranglehold they have on the way the world works that they're like kind of the true enemy, like mm. not to get completely Marxist. So like if there are schmucks, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> like I like, so I, I'm like relatively capitalist, but I, I also see that like, like big corporations as a bad thing in general. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Like I, I believe, okay. I'll say I believe in markets. Sure, but with limits, right? And it's like, yeah, big corporations. I'm like, I don't want to work for them, and 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 part of it's selfish, which is right. like, I don't want to deal with being part of a big corporation politics and everything, uh, like like company politics, not yeah. like not like you know politics, politics. But also, it's like they just definitely have undue influence in the world because they just accumulate so much power, right? And it's like it's they're using it for their own interest rather than like societal good. Well, it's they're big enough to where their own interests cla- can clash with societal good. Right. Yeah. Right. And I mean the like what I just uh what what bothers me is that there are simple-minded schmucks out there that see Nike as the shoe of the revolution, yeah. official right, sponsor right, right. of the revolution. And you know the reality is like what Kaepernick and the other athletes that are doing flag protests are doing, they're they're protesting police brutality mm-hmm. um, in the prison industrial complex, which is a direct byproduct of corporate greed because these plant, like the, the manufacturing base that we had in this country that existed for a long time has been long gone, right? Yeah. We've completely outsourced to much cheaper labor, like in Bangladesh and, and Taiwan and India and Mexico and places like that. Um, so these prisons um, and this much harsher, uh, criminal justice policy that we've seen um, is a direct byproduct of like we ne- we have nowhere to put these people right like the guy who lives in uh, these inner city neighborhoods who used to be able to go to a plant job yeah, has yeah. nowhere to go mm. what do we do we lock him up and then we use yeah. that like cheap ass prison labor right so like yeah. if Kaepernick was like I'm taking a knee because of police brutality and also uh, I want you know, like workers' rights and, and unionization, right. you'd see that sponsorship and that that endorsement deal get ripped away real quick. Yeah. So yeah. there there's a there's a huge element of hypocrisy. Um I mean I don't I don't want to take away too much credit from Nike for them. I think they uh I like the gesture. It's like um it's uh it's somebody that should be propped up because I consider Colin Kaepernick the Muhammad Ali of our time. Yeah. Um, but uh, I am also I 
uh, I'm definitely looking at them with serious side eye. Yeah, I think it would be a mistake to like immediately think, oh, they're just like a golden company. I'm gonna go buy yeah, three hundred dollars no. worth of shoes. Yeah. Show um, and prove, Nike. Yeah. Bring uh, you know, start start making sneakers in the states again. You know. Also, quick Noid update. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Noid shooting. Is uh, that real? Uh, so he didn't shoot anyone. But okay. on January 30th, 1989, Kenneth Lamar Noid, a mentally ill man who thought the His ads... His last name was Noid? Exactly. Oh, he thought the ads no. were a personal attack on him. <laughs> oh, so no. He had... He held two Domino's employees at, like, a restaurant hostage... And just made all these demands, and then eventually he surrendered to the police, and then uh, he was charged with stuff, uh, found not guilty by reason of insanity, spent three months in a mental institution, and then eventually committed suicide. Okay. Uh, so really depressing. And wow. That. But, uh, it was you gotta really- <laughs> wonder, though, you gotta wonder when the police arrived on the scene and they were laying siege to the dominoes if they said through the bullhorn now avoid the noise (laughs) he could be armed and dangerous oh Oh my god that sucks yeah that sucks so bad oh that's there is nothing worse sometimes because people are such dicks yeah Uh, there is nothing worse than having a crappy name that you have that just coincides with something stupid. Yeah. Like I had a I had a friend who went to Beverly Hills High School, um, whose name is Brendan Walsh. And Brendan Walsh is the main character on Beverly Hills 90210. Oh god. So he had to deal with that for and he just oh, looks yeah. he could not look less like Jason Priestley. <laughs> uh that sucked. Oh man. Like, if he had looked exactly like Jason Priestley, he'd probably that would, be... That would <laughs> suck, too. I mean, you're just a different person. Yeah. Just be everyone's assuming you're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. You have to imagine that everybody with this Noid guy, like, everyone he knew was just, like, coming up to him. And, and they'd be like, hey, guys, avoid the Noid! And then no one would talk to him. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man. That is, oh man, that is a truly sad but still very entertaining story. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's another thing in there about how the Noid came back in like 2009, which is also I think when Domino's did their whole campaign of like, we heard you, we suck, now we suck less. You guys remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I did notice the ingredients got better, but I didn't remember the ad campaign. And then, like, I kind of randomly saw an ad around that time, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." They're probably also guilty of some like horrible. I mean, they're definitely awful, awful. Uh, so, somewhere down the line, they probably treat their workers badly. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> kind of goes part and parcel with fast food. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, In and Out is kind of the only one that's got. Any kind of like good reputation for that? They, uh, I think they pay their um, their workers uh, up well above minimum wage. They have major holidays off. They're also a faith based company. Yeah. So there, there's that aspect. There's, yeah, that's a mixed blessing. Um, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I've for definitely the most- had friends who like work for Chick Fil A, which is also kind of faith based, and it's they've had weird things to say about it, just like they how uncomfortable they feel. <laughs> Um, they, uh, I was proud, uh, as a, uh, I'm originally from Boston. So I was proud that, um, they were going to build one, uh, near Boston common or something. And it got shut down, um, because of, you know, it, the, the company's kind of, uh, sort of homophobic. Yeah. Uh, no, I remember it was uh, right around that time. I think I remember hearing about that. Yeah. Uh, um, and the, I think the mayor himself, um, you know, basically delivered uh the order like no you you can't build here and i remember like being like pretty proud of that yeah i think they have subsequently like still like open franchises there yeah there's always a way i'm from virginia uh and like i recognize that chick-fil-a is pretty awful but also there's a part of me that's like oh it's so delicious yeah (laughs) (laughs) um which is i don't know that's i mean that's kind of just something 
you gotta you gotta wrestle with yeah uh yeah i mean every you really do have to like be a conscious consumer yeah um or or just very comfortable with uh with cognitive distance yeah exactly it's that's that's all that's what living in like a first world like hyper capitalist country yeah. is, you know, well, it's that whole thing of there's no ethical consumption uh, under capitalism or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I agree with that. Um, so, I mean, like the point is to like still try to be conscious uh, uh, and know where your line is because I mean, I think your dollars and how you spend them uh, do send a message. Yeah. And, yeah. and if you, and a boycott is an incredibly powerful thing for sure. Um, and also, I, I didn't go for it for like a while after yeah. that. Yeah. Eventually, <laughs> eventually, eventually, you quit Chick fil A fast. Yeah. Uh, I did a quick Chick fil A fast. Uh, I, I think I like broke at some point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had, um, I, when I used to eat uh, In N Out, uh, I had, I remember I, had, I, I was going there every day with my roommate and, uh, I was like, all right, well, we're going to, you know, have a contest to see like who can go the longest. And I lasted two days and I like, it was like for like 20 bucks on the line. And I like, I lasted two days and I not only gave him 20 bucks, but handed him a hamburger as well. Like, <laughs> it's over for you too. Yeah. It's over for you. Like this contest is done. Yeah. Um, I went there for my first time a couple months ago. In, uh, in California, Texas, Arizona, California, California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause I'm never over there. I like, I'm an East coast boy. Yeah. Uh, now Midwest boy, and uh, it's very rarely over uh, on the West Coast. So like I was there, and I made sure like a few hours before my flight, yeah. it ended up being pretty got, much. Yeah, you gotta get proper. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's good. Uh, it's not like I wouldn't say it's super special, but it is good. Yeah, I think there's uh, kind of because it's such a re- hyper regional chain. Yeah. Um, and they do have that secret menu, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I mean, they make no, you know, it's secret, but it's, they it's quotes air quotes secret. Yeah, it's secret because it's not printed on the menu that you can look at, but there are buttons on the register in front of you for everything that you order. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So get you know, getting something animal style is not. It's not like going to like a nineteen twenties speakeasy <laughs> and right. saying the password. Yeah. You know, when somebody <laughs> looks at you through a slat in the door. Um, but that I mean that element is kind of fun. Yep. Uh, the fries are fresh, although I've seen the potatoes that they use and they're jaw dropping. I mean that we're talking we're talking football sized potatoes <laughs> oh that they have God. someone peel and uh, put through this sort of chopper, yeah, chopper that chops yeah. them into fries all day long. But I mean these these are like so GMO laden and like hormone grown. Uh, it's, it's insane. Um, but, but they're not frozen. I don't think you, yeah. That makes me wonder if like, cause McDonald's I think has that whole thing now where they're like, they just did this thing where it's all our beef is fresh. So it's probably just like from just the most. I don't know, like weirdly steroid ridden or whatever. It's got to be a cow the size of fucking Godzilla. Yeah. Like for them to pull that off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some sort of Cronenberg monstrosity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Like it's got five heads and like seven udders, (laughs) you know, like just udders on their knees and they're all bloated and they're just screaming in agony. And it's fresh. Yep. It's fresh. Fresh, But it's fresh. Yep. I am a vegan, <laughs> and so I have nothing to do with it. My conscience is clean. Uh, well, it's been uh, over an hour so far, so oh, yeah. uh, about time to wrap it up. Uh, do you have any questions or like anything you want to ask us? Uh, I mean, I got uh, we no. Um, you know, I feel like we <laughs> solved. All of the systemic problems that are plaguing we saved our society. The world. We saved the world. Just listen uh, to me, uh, you know, shoot from the hip about every issue on this podcast. <laughs> and we'll just, we will have this baby, you know, back in, back in fighting shape uh, in no time. <laughs> so if President Trump is listening, <laughs> we're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. That op-ed was written by us. 
wait, no, wait. That that says we're in there. Oh, no. Uh, so yeah, so <laughs> we're wrapping up. Uh, do you have any plugs for shows you're in? Yeah, you uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I already mentioned before mm-hmm. uh, Mint mm-hmm. uh, seven thirty uh, Tuesday at the Annoyance Theater. Uh, this Tuesday. I don't know if this is going to come out in time, but we have a, there's like a lip sync battle. It's kind of like an atypical, uh, uh, mint show, but, uh, most Tuesdays I'm there, uh, singing my heart out. And then, uh, I am on like, uh, eco. I am on one of the, uh, crowds house teams. Uh, I'm on the sketch team. We're called fiasco. Our next show is going to be September 21st at 10 PM. Uh, uh, where can where can they find you online or with oh these teams uh, I I don't really mess around with too much social media mm-hmm. uh, I find Twitter uh, depressing um, and I don't do Instagram either but I am on Facebook and I'll be friends with anyone who's listening to this that isn't friends with me so uh, it's just Daryl D A R R E L L Monty M O N T I uh, and I'm very easy to find we probably have. Uh, a number of friends in common. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I'm Eco, and I see got a couple things going on. Uh, like like Daryl, I'm on a crowd house team. Our name is Straight Sugar. We play Fridays at uh, ten o'clock, and not every Friday, but once every two. You probably get a message from me for that. And then uh, I MD for a tribe called Johnny Quest, hip hop improv group. And I'm wrapping up the Supernatural Algae, which is a musical improv group from the uh, IO musical improv program. And you can find me on Facebook at EcoLu or Instagram at Eco.Lu. Um, that's mostly it. Uh, and uh, I'm Zach Goldberger. Uh, you can just find me at, at First Place Burger on Instagram and Twitter. I've got uh, nothing going on, so just, uh, I don't know, send me uh, best wishes and good luck. I've got a Herald team audition coming up eventually. Oh, nice. So just uh, tweet at me and just be like, hey, don't suck during that audition. And we're good. They're going to do the Joe Madden. <laughs> pep talk for you oh yeah try not to suck try not to suck hell yeah I'll send my thoughts in prayer <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm kinder alright so uh, yeah this has been the XYZ podcast with Daryl uh, Monty and signing off bye bye, bye everybody <laughs>